Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. Happy almost Halloween. Ooh, everyone did it. The spookiest Sunday. I don't have a very scary sermon. I'm sorry. Um, Oh, there it is. This happened at a concert once. It's my phone probably. And now everyone's phone's going to go off. Um, Have I told that story before? Yeah, remember, it it was insane. Okay, for those of you who aren't here, I guess it was not a good story. All right. Uh, It's not funny. It's just interesting, okay? Um, Hey, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 23, if you would. Um, As you know, we uh, are without our slides today because the devil is in technology and so uh, we rebuke thee. Um, if you um, either have your phone, uh, you can look up Psalm 23, or we also have some Bibles on the back of the room that you can borrow as well. But Psalm 23 is where we're at this morning as we continue in our third week in a series called Church of the Good Shepherd. Uh, this is a vision series that we're embarking on right as we've celebrated our seventh birthday where here in beginning this new year, we're wanting to take Psalm 23, what is arguably one of the most popular and arguably one of the most profound passages in all of scripture and allow it to really seep in with our community as we move into the future of collective. My prayer has been for all of you here, whether today's your first time or you've been a part of collective since day one, is that you and I might really see and really believe the words of Psalm 23. And in doing so, that we might really experience the reality of Psalm 23. For us as a community, for us as individuals, to move deeper into the words of Psalm 23 than many people often tread. As Dallas Willard wrote, the words of Psalm 23 are more often carved on tombstones than a reality written in lives. I want us to really see, to really believe, to really experience what uh, the Lord is my shepherd has for us. For what we find within Psalm 23 to be more than just pretty words at your one day funeral, which is coming by the way, but to actually be the soundtrack of your life. And even more than that, being Church of the Good Shepherd, for Psalm 23 to be the soundtrack of our church community. That like this is the song that plays when we wake up and as we move through our days. Psalm 23 is the description of our life. And so with that being said, uh, you have Psalm 23 there in front of you. I'm going to invite you to uh, join me in standing as we read from God's word today. Psalm 23. And so before we read, let's just take a moment uh, just to calm ourselves, to open ourselves to what the Spirit has for us today. Holy Spirit, we come out of a world of um, chaos and mess and uh, phone alerts. God, we just come out of a week of, of loss and, and celebration, of pain and joy, of exhaustion and rest. We, we come from so many different places, and yet we all are here today, gathered as a people around your word. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through the scriptures today. God, I pray that you would take uh, my preparation over this past week, and that you would turn it into something that I, within my own strength, cannot. Oh, God, our desire today is for you to bring the life that you actually have for us. And so we pray that as we look at Psalm 23, specifically verse 3 today, that you would bring the renewal that our hearts long for. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. 
He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Amen. You may be seated. I have what I need. Laying down in green pastures, a stroll beside quiet waters, a cup overflowing with wine, a table, a feast set. Psalm 23 depicts the life that we long for, a life of contentment, a life of satisfaction, a life of peace and rest. But as we read this, many of us have the troubling realization that though this is the life that I long for, it's the life that I lack. See, we look out at our lives and our days, and though we long for abiding rest, what we find in its place is passing leisure or hurried performance. Though we long for a heartfelt contentment, when we look over our days and what's going on in here, we find a hungry consumerism at work. We long for deep peace, and yet we settle for shallow distraction. We long for spiritual satisfaction, or shallow distraction, sorry. We, uh, we long for spiritual satisfaction, and yet as we look into our lives, as we look what's motivating us and moving us out of bed every day is not spiritual satisfaction, but, but carnal, like this carnal compulsion that motivates us. The life that we long for is the life that we actually lack. And so to survive this life of lack, many of us have just reasoned that that life that I long for is a mirage in the desert. We just have to, at some point, give up on the life that I long for because it's not the life that I'm finding here. And so we just settle in to kind of the nobody punches in and out anymore. But the nine to five, in, sitting in traffic, sitting on the floor, that's, that's the life that I've just accepted is that's, that's the life that I should accept because that's the one that I have. And yet Psalm 23's confident declaration is that this life is not a mirage. It's the reality that's available to us in, in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. The life that we long for is actually a reality available to us in the shepherded life. And so if we were to reverse the words of Psalm 23, the diagnosis for your and I's life of lack is simply a natural symptom of our life apart from God, our shepherd. Whether or not you agree, that is what Psalm 23 holds out as at least one, maybe you're, you, know, you go see the doctor and you want to get multiple opinions on it. This is at least one doctor's opinion on your life of lack. You could take it or leave it, but this is the perspective of David as he writes Psalm 23. As the North African theologian Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So, this restlessness that's coming, this life of lack, the absence of the life that I long for is sourced in a life apart from God, my shepherd. And so the three sources of this kind of life of restlessness, this life of lack that I've tried to identify over the past week, these three, if you're taking notes, 
The first source for a life of lack is rooted first and foremost in a lack of faith. And so this would be for some of us in the room here that we do not know God as our shepherd. We do not know God in the trusting relationship of him as provider, sustainer, and guider. We just, we, we have a life of lack of faith. We haven't trusted or followed him. And so for many of us, we have come out of either walking away from faith at some point or we've never had it. And so for us, we've really never known anything or at least at this point in our life, but this life of lack. And yet we cannot account for the deep inner longings that we have within us. That even though we've tried to make our peace with the life that we have, we don't know what to do with the life, this longing within us. And so we push it down or we try to satiate it with distractions or whatever it may be. One of the first reasons that we've wandered from the shepherd is a life of lack. The second reason for our restlessness is elapsed faith. And this is for those of us here that maybe we knew the shepherd at some point. We, under, we had the life that we longed for. We had verse one and two. We had, I have what I need. We have the green pastures. We have the strolling beside quiet waters. And yet, over the course of our lives, at some point, we began to enter into a trajectory of wandering away of following after our own way. This language of habitual sin that seems big and scary is just the simple reality that we have wandered into a habituated way of being that is cutting us off from the life that we used to have. And so Sunday gatherings, even as we now show up, actually feel quite painful because we feel like each week, like a spectator looking in at the life that we long for and yet it's just out of reach and we know why. And yet this lapsed faith, this habitual, habituated wandering, it just keep, we just, we don't know how to overcome it. But that we know is why we lack the life that we long for. And then what ends up happening within this is, is like Esau in the story of Genesis, like Esau traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. This is, this is how we, view, we don't know what to do. We made the trade with this habituated rhythm of our life. And now we're staring here looking at a bowl of soup as someone else walks off with our birthright. We're staring here looking at the life of lack, the decisions that we've made and the patterns that we've entered into, all the while knowing that what we gave up in the process was the life that we actually longed for all along. But we don't, we don't know where to go. And so we just continue in this habitual rhythm. The third source of our life of lack would be a lukewarm faith. And so this is for some of us here who find ourselves not entrenched in some kind of habitual sin and not without any kind of faith altogether, but a half-hearted faith. One that walks aimlessly through our lives. And really we take the words of Psalm 23 and any writings of scripture about the life that, has, that God has for us and we relegate them from the here and now to the hereafter. We take all of the promises of scripture and the life that's available to us and we just set that aside as going, that's for like when I die and go to heaven. And so we then enter into the in and out, going through the motions of just kind of settling into a spiritual apathy. And then we may say we're a follower of Jesus. Our following of Jesus is kind of just an aimless wandering. I wanna to speak to these three today. And so for some of you, you may feel yourself resonate in these. And so I want to speak to, speak to these three. One of the things I want to identify really quickly, though, is that in speaking to this, I am not speaking to what we're going to look at next week in verse 4. Those of us who are walking through the darkest valley. 
You see, the darkest valley is not one of a lapsed faith, a faith that's lacking or a lukewarm faith, but for those of us who have followed God into a season of confusion and a felt absence of his presence, this is a different stage, the darkest valley is, than what we're looking at today. And so for some of you, maybe you resonate with some of those words there. That'll be next week. And also, I just want to say, for some of you, as I speak to these three, you may go, that's great, Ryan. I don't really resonate with any of those. I, I kind of think things are going great for me today. I'm really in a sweet season of abiding rest in the shepherd. And so today, I just want to set before what we look at is, is, is a warning of enjoying that season, but being aware that it's very easy to wander. And so some things to keep in mind. So with this in mind, it's kind of ask this question. If the life of lack is a symptom of life away from the shepherd, the question is, why do sheep wander? Why do sheep wander? David's been really intentional about using the the shepherd language here. And so he has been a shepherd for many years in his life. He knows something about sheep that we don't. And so like Lorenzo did last week, I spent far more time uh, this week looking into like the behavior patterns of sheep than I probably should have. And yet... Um, I, I found some really profound insights. I think, I think David's on to something. So I've got a handful of uh, reasons that sheep wander. And I just want to invite us to learn a little bit about sheep, but maybe about ourselves in the process. The first reason that sheep wander is due to flocking. On a year-long trip to Israel, uh, Timothy Laniac was observing shepherds in flocks in and around Israel. And what he observed was, in his words, the curious behavior of sheep. When one wanders off trail, many simply follow its tail. You see, for some of us, our wandering is rooted in a following the tail, or as Paul writes, uh, conformed to the pattern of this world, conformed to the tail of this world. And this can have disastrous results. Back in 2006 in Istanbul, one, uh, during breakfast, the shepherds are sitting around the fire having breakfast, and one sheep wanders off a cliff to its death. 1,500 others followed suit. In the end, 450 sheep died and the rest were only saved by the cushion of their dead flock mates. <laughs> I, love, I love my front row, my, my verbal processors. <gasps> so good. There are some of us here that are wandering into a lack of faith, a lapsed faith or a lukewarm faith is we have simply been conformed to the pattern of this world. We have followed the tale of those around us and it has led us to a place that we never wanted to be. It has led us into the wilderness of a life of lack because we've wandered off the trail of the shepherd and followed the tale of this world. The second reason sheep wander is fear. Sheep are notoriously skittish. And unlike like fainting goats, we all love those YouTube videos. Sheep don't faint, they bolt. They run. I was reading one story this week of an entire flock scattered out and like all over, you know, this giant field, all because of a plastic bag blowing in the wind. Like they just, ah, and like bolted. What is it? You know, it's, it's, it's a plastic bag. And so fear is one of the reasons that sheep wander. And there are some of you that your, your lack of faith, your lapsed faith or your lukewarm faith is simply rooted in the circumstances of your life that have prompted you into a place of fear. And rather than trusting in the provision, the protection and the guidance, the peace of your shepherd, you've bolted, gone running and looking for it somewhere else. Not believing that the shepherd has it for you. The third reason sheep wander is distraction. 
Sheep are led by their attention span. And so shepherds often will call or sing as a way of keeping the, their attention on. They've got like, you know, they're like me. They've got attention deficit or disorder. They've got ADHD, sheep, ADHD. And so the shepherd will sing and call them to keep their attention back on the shepherd, to keep following him. But the problem with this is, as you can guess, is they're quite prone to just wandering off of the path based off something that's, that's attractive to them. As Lorenzo talked about last week, we learned that sheep have near 360 degree vision, but what I learned this week is they're actually really nearsighted. So they have a huge vision of all that's available to them, but they can't see it in detail. They they can't see the fullness of what it is at a distance, and so they'll kind of wander off to like check out, to look up close at what it is. I found a blog spot from 2007 this week, um, a shepherd's blog spot. Um, I told you. I was like, I can't believe that this is how I'm spending my week because I'm like reading blogs from shepherds. But it's a story of a, I literally search curious sheep, like, you know. And um, there's a story of this, this shepherd who one morning woke up to um, seven or so of their sheep had crawled over the fence and now were in the pig pen with all these pigs covered in, in like, you know, pig stuff mess. Pigs are freaking out. The sheep are all freaking out and they're running out there. And what had happened is these sheep had wandered over the gate, you know, and they're like looking in, trying to figure like, what's a pig? And they end up crawling onto the fence and falling into the pig pen. All because of what? Their, their, their distraction. And so again, there are many of us here that our wandering is due to the fact that we have been distracted into a place and pace of life that we were never meant to be in. That we are like sheep. We are meant for green pastures and walking beside quiet waters. And we have landed ourselves smack dab in the middle of a pig pen. And maybe you've been distracted by career. Maybe it's leisure. Maybe it's your iPhone. One of the greatest warnings throughout scripture, one of the greatest distractions to your soul and mine is wealth. As Ruth Haley Barton writes, many of us have allowed ourselves to get caught up in a way of life that does not set us up to pay attention to the presence of God in our lives. We long for a word from the Lord, but somehow we've been suckered into believing that the kind of pace we keep is what ministry requires, or we might say what life requires. We wander into a way of life that offers little or no opportunity for paying attention, and then we wonder why we're not hearing a word from the Lord when we need it. There are some of us that our distraction has brought us into a pace of life and a place of life that the shepherd never intended for you and I. The next reason why shepherd or sheep wander is past shepherds. Regularly when a sheep enters into a new fold, is brought into, they bring with them all their past experiences of the shepherds that they had before. And so if they had a, maybe a more uh, rough sheepdog or a more distant and not pay, you know, a, a shepherd that did not pay a good enough attention to them or that was overly forceful and mean with the sheep, those sheep now will view the new shepherd through the filter of their past experiences. They will see that shepherd through distrust. They will be prone to wander because though that shepherd has done nothing to get them, they view the shepherd through their past abuse or neglect. There are many of us in here that the reason that we wander from the shepherd, that we have a life of lack, is we have wandered from God because we see him through the filter of our past caretakers. 
whether parents or teachers or pastors, their abuse or in their neglect. And so when we have the voice of God that comes and relates to us as father, as shepherd, as leader, as some kind of authority in our life, we block up and we tense up because of the abuse or the neglect that we've suffered in the past. As K.J. Ramsey writes in her wonderful book, The Lord is Our Courage, our capacity to trust the shepherd is formed by the presence of shepherds with whom we have belonged. It's the shepherds in your life, people in roles of caregiving, leadership, and authority, whose presence has primed you toward tight-fisted fear or open-handed joy. Your past experiences of safety and connection with others or lack thereof have shaped your capacity for connection and calm. As a pastor, I find this so regularly that in the way that many of you relate to me as a pastor is I am seen through the filter of your previous pastors. I have a, 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 a filter, a category that you fit me into based off past shepherds and even in some of your cases, your, your parents. But what's more dangerous and, and more sad to, to watch is when some of you relate to God through the filter of the perfectionism of a parent or the absence of a pastor, that you view God through that framework. And so though he invites you into a certain kind of life, you have learned to distrust anyone who invites you into a life like that because you're just waiting for the shoe to drop and for him to bail like they did or for him to abuse you like they did. And then the final reason why sheep wander is they're injured. You see, when sheep are injured, they unintentionally will limp away from their shepherd, that despite their best intentions, they slowly will limp in the direction away from where the flock is going. Sometimes this can be against their best intentions, and sometimes that this can be a sheep's death march out into the wild, that based off something being wrong with it, sick with it, rather than coming to the shepherd for healing, will believe that it's, this is my time to wander off and, and you know, go the way of all sheep before me. There are some of you that your wandering is due to spiritual, physical, or emotional sicknesses, wounds, pain within you. And you find that as much as you may have an intention to follow the shepherd, you walk with a limp that has a trajectory away from the life that God has for you. Or others of you have suffered some sort of wound or some sort of bodily illness, something within you that has led you to believe that the life that the shepherd has for you is actually not true. And so you are on your own little death march out into the wilderness. And so you lack faith, the lapsed faith, or lukewarm as you've just settled into, this is my experience. I know for me, as I look back over my own life and my seasons of lapsed faith or lack of faith or lukewarm, I find myself, these many of these, I'm a lot like a sheep. I have found my times of elapsed faith are due to fears of my needs or my desires not being met that God doesn't actually have my best in mind, my satisfaction and contentment in mind, and so I've gotta go over here to find it. Other times of lapsed faith is viewing God through my past shepherd's perfectionism and a belief that that's how God sees me rather than his little messy but delightful sheep following him on the way. Or my lukewarm faith that often has come through the form of distraction, just not attentive to God's shepherding presence with me in every moment. I invite you to today wander about your wandering. For those of you that resonate with one of those, you know, a, a lack of faith, a lapsed faith, or a lukewarm faith, what's got you here? Might it be one of these things, two of these things? Extra credit, all six. I invite you to wander while you wander.
But you see, the reason that sheep wander, there are many. The reality is that apart from their shepherd, sheep end up only in a few handfuls of ways. One is as a prey to the wild animals and beasts around them. Another is to disaster, like we found in the sheep that walked off the edge of the cliff. But very regularly, sheep find themselves in what shepherds refer to as the cast-down position. Cast-down position is when in wandering, a sheep goes out and at some point, you know, trips and falls over onto their side. And trying to get back up, again, sheep are just not, they're not like, you know, panthers, like just, you know, ready to go. They fall over on their side and they can't get up. And so in their attempt to get up, they roll up even further than onto their back. And now it's incredibly difficult. Like tur- think about like turtle, you know, on its bag. This is sheep, right? They begin to flail their legs in the air, bleeding and crying. And after a few hours on their backs, gas begins to collect in their stomachs. And that stomach hardens. It cuts off their ability to breathe and the sheep eventually suffocate and die. It's an insane image. And yet, I, I, as I've been praying for many of you in this room this week, I would imagine some of you feel this way today hopefully with a little less gas. But you feel spiritually stuck. You feel stagnant. You, you, you genuinely feel like you're spiritually suffocating. And as much as you kick and flail your, your arms and legs to try to get out, you just... See, David, before he was a king and a poet, he was a shepherd. And as a shepherd, David knew the threat of a wandering sheep. He knew the peril of the cast down position. He knew the helplessness of a sheep on its back, about as hopeful as a turtle on its back in the middle of a heat wave. David, as a human, had his own moments of a lack of faith and lapsed faith and a lukewarm faith. I, I believe the reason he uses the sheep imagery is not just because he was a shepherd, but because he knows his own experience and walk with God looks so similar to what he had to do day in and day out with the sheep of his flock. You see, David knew and would invite us to see the only one who can restore a wandering sheep, the only one who can bring back a cast down sheep is the shepherd. And so in the passage of today, in in Psalm 23, verse three, this is precisely what David is saying. By him saying, he renews my life, David assumes a life that needs to be renewed. David assumes a faith that is lacking or lapsed or lukewarm. David assumes that there is something that is not, that has gotten old and needs to be brought back and renewed. David calls your and I's, our attention to the one who renews, as it can be translated, restores, revives, brings back, resuscitates, and I don't think is a stretch to say resurrects our life. See, this word renews in Hebrew is the Hebrew word shuv. It's the word that we get repent from. When you see someone repent in the Bible, it's the same word as renews. Repentance is renewal, and renewal is repentance. See, the shepherd repents me. He turns my life around. Older translations would have Psalm 23 say, he converts my life. The shepherd brings me back to a life I'd began to think was a mirage. The shepherd brings me back to the life that I had thought I had forfeited and gone away from. The shepherd brings me back to a life that I had settled into as only being something for the future. He brings me back. He renews me. And man, do I love getting into the grammar because when you look at some of these words, it just speaks a word that you just read right past. He renews my life. Not renewed, 
David's not reflecting on the wonderful past tense renewing that God brought at one point in his life, but renews, ongoing. The shepherd who brings renewal, this is not a one-time celebration of something that God did once in the past, but the ongoing life with God, my shepherd, that David reflects on. An ongoing renewal, as much as needed, the shepherd brings, he renews my life. And all of this is available to us because the God that is here in us, the Lord of Psalm 23, is the God who delights in, back in the opening pages of the Bible, bringing order out of chaos. He's the God who delights in restoration, bringing life out of death. Renewal is at the very heartbeat of God. Ezekiel 34 says, this is God speaking, as a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. God says, I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. God says, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bandage the injured. I will strengthen the weak. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. Do you just see in Ezekiel 34, the heartbeat of God is about renewal? Those that are lost, he seeks. Those that have strayed, he brings back. Those that are injured, he bandages. Those that are weak, he strengthens. When you read the words of Ezekiel 34, you just have to walk away from these words knowing that God doesn't view our scattering or our wandering as a source of his scorn, but the basis of his compassion. You, some of you are wandering right now and you think that God is looking at you and he's just can't even put it into words. But this is the face that you have in your mind when you think of the way that God looks at you when you're wandering. And yet Ezekiel 34 is compassion, a God who desires to move towards you in this. If we don't believe this in Ezekiel 34, we just need to look forward to when God, in his compassion, uh, gave what he promised in Ezekiel 34, that both he would come and shepherd and he would establish one from the line of David to be the shepherd both of them being true in the person of Jesus. You see, as the fulfillment of Ezekiel's vision, Jesus shows up on the scene as this embodied human portrait and picture of what this means for God to be my shepherd. And what we find is someone who seeks after the lost. Jesus goes after those that both society and themselves had believed were beyond renew. Luke 15 all the tax collectors and the sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. All the wanderers and the scattered ones were approaching to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious elite, and the scribes, the Bible nerds, were complaining, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus told them this parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls to his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, over one sinner who is renewed, over one sinner who is brought back than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Jesus welcomes wanderers. 
Jesus welcomes and eats with sinners, those who along the way have lingered, been lost, or fallen. He seeks and brings back. He renews, he repents, he turns their life around. And the parable of Luke 15 tells us, if anything, just notice in Jesus here, it's a celebration. He's eating with them. It's a party in heaven when they return. The the renewal that Jesus has for you and I contains no eye rolling. The renewal that Jesus wants for you is no muttered frustration of about time under his breath or I can't believe we've got to do this again. It's threefold joy, he says. The shepherd does it with joy. He calls out to rejoice and then there's more joy in heaven. In the midst of the renewal that you're looking for and the life that you lack, God is not tapping his feet with his arms crossed awaiting your repentance. He's hanging streamers and blowing up balloons in anticipation. And so how does the shepherd renew our life? How does God in Jesus Christ welcome and bring us back? Jesus tells us in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I have come that they may have, that Psalm 23, life without lack. What does he say right after this? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, renews our lives by laying down his. The work of what Jesus is doing with his death on the cross is taking away our wandering, taking away all that that we've accumulated, all the dust and the dirt and the grime and the mess and the pain of our wandering away from him. He takes it onto himself to wash us and bring us back to the life that he had for us. I am an absolute sucker for animal rescue videos. I'm a sucker for two kinds of like videos on the internet. One is like the nature is metal, which is, I can't recommend. Um, But the other one is um, these animal rescue videos. And um, you've probably seen them. You know, there's this huge sweeping flood. And then, you know, on the top of like this little tree or something like that or stump, there's the little cat, you know, kid, like just sitting up there whining. And it's, you know, just soaked to the bone. And then it's always some like 20-year-old dude who's like the one that's going to do this. And he enters into the water wading through this like ice cold, deep torrent, like brush and debris scratching him up. And he takes up this little cat who's now like scratching him, not realizing that he's like, I'm trying to save your life right now as he like holds the cat above his head walking back through the mess to bring this cat back to life and every time I'm just I turn into a crybaby one because I love animals getting saved or on the other side apparently animals getting like terribly marred uh, with with nature is metal I got one or two I don't like ordinary animals I need saved or dead ones um (laughs) but I turn into a crybaby every time because here you have in this little this silly little portrait he's like you know crazy, reckless little 20-something guys who decide they're going to be the ones to save the cat. This incredible picture of what's happening at the cross. We're in the midst of all of our mess and wandering and everything that we've brought on ourselves through our lack of faith, our lapsed faith, or our lukewarm faith. We've got ourselves up a, a creek without a paddle. And the shepherd doesn't just like say like, you know, come on, jump on in, swim. You know, I'll give you lessons for swimming. The, the, the one saving enters into and takes the brunt of everything that will be necessary for the little thing to be brought back to life. This is what's happening at the cross. The shepherd laying down his life, going out into the wilderness of death to bring us back and bring us to the life that we long for. And not just the life that we long for, the life he longs for us. 
And so not only is the cross the source of our renewal, it then serves as the anchor for our wandering because it speaks a new word to those six reasons for our wandering to begin with. Our flocking, our fear, our distraction, our past shepherds and our injury. You see, at the cross, we are able to see in in vivid living color the way of the world, where the tale of the world leads. If Jesus has to enter into the death on the cross, separation from God, and then this is where Jesus has had to go in order to bring me out from this, then I see whenever I'm tempted to follow the tale of this world, I know the cliff that's on the other side of it. It looks like the cross. And I don't need to go there because that's, that's what the cross is doing for me. Similarly, at the cross, I can boldly state to my fear with the Apostle Paul, looking at Jesus dying for me, saying, if this God is for me, who can stand against me? At the cross, the reality is not many things can distract you at the cross. This is what caused the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, to say, oh, that I were to have the cross painted on the inside of my eyelids to keep the cross before me. He also said, if you want to make a man sober, bring him to the foot of the cross. Whatever your distraction may be, over, whether it's the silliness of just you've got into like digital rhythms that are keeping you from the life that you have, or it is the pull of wealth on your heart, the cross of God's life given for you will sober and break that if you stare there long enough. For some of us that, that have a distrust of the shepherd, the cross is the place where we get to see a new shepherd We get to compare and contrast the God shown to us in Jesus with all the parents and shepherds and pastors that we might have had in our life. Shepherds that would abuse or neglect. Here we have a shepherd who doesn't abuse but gives himself that enters into his pain for our life. Here we have a shepherd that doesn't neglect and go off but stays committed to us even to death itself. And so whatever shepherd you may have that you are tempted to view God through, the cross is the place where that filter is shattered and you see a shepherd that you can trust and follow with all of your life. And at the cross, we hear the words of Isaiah, by his wounds we are healed. The cross brings a new healing. The power of healing is available through the work of the cross. And even more in the midst of whatever God does in that, even in the midst of our suffering, we are able to hold our suffering as being held and shared in by Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus is the source of the shepherd's renewal. It's the anchor for our wandering and it's the revelation of the shepherd's compassionate love for us. As John 3.16 says, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish in the wilderness wanderings, but have eternal life. The reason that God gave his son, the reason that Jesus endured the cross was to give you and I a renewed, eternal, resurrecting life. And though we could spend all day on this, eternal life is not language of somewhere you go and you die. It is an overflowing life that overflows starting today into eternity. It's not some life that God is waiting for you to get to. Get to. It's available to you today. And this is precisely what the shepherd David reflects on when he says, he leads me along the right paths. You see, the shepherd doesn't want to just bring you back from the wrong paths. He wants to guide you on the right ones. All of this path following leading to verse six, though, where, where is the final destination of these right paths? It's dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And along the way, we go there with a renewed way along these right paths. 
or as it can be translated, righteous paths. You see, the following of Jesus that comes on the other side of him seeking after us as we now follow him on paths of justice and love and gentleness. We follow him in a way of joy and self-control. We enter into habits of patience and kindness and honesty, practices of contentment, satisfaction, peace, and rest. One way we could translate Psalm 23 right here in this verse is, is that he leads me along a rule of righteousness. Now, for some of you, that language is new of, of not rules of righteousness, but a rule, a way of life. The shepherd doesn't just save us and bring us back for us to then wander off again. He wants to guide you into a new way of life, of finding the life that you long for in him. And so these, this, this is what he brings us back for. I think some of us have grown far so content with this hamster wheel cul-de-sac of, of needing renewal. And, and, and on one level, the shepherd is what we've seen here, is delighted to continue to provide that for you. He is always holding out a desire for you to, to enter into an, a new way. Though the shepherd will always seek you, no matter how many times we wander, the shepherd is always inviting you to follow him into a new way of life. This way, this path of righteousness. And we find this way through Jesus' guidance through the scriptures, through promptings of the spirit, but then also within us as a community. The paths of righteousness are renewed habits of following him as our shepherd. And so hear me, in the midst of talking about us now applying and walking out what's been done, this is not the way that we get out of the wilderness. Practices, spiritual disciplines, are not the way that you get out of the wilderness. They are a means of habituating the renewal that he brought to us. They're a means of following him on this eternal movement out from the wilderness. What Paul would say, it's us working out what the shepherd has worked in, or as Paul says in Philippians chapter four, of us taking hold of Christ as he's taken hold of us. And so there's an incredible gift to us throughout church history of varying stages along the path of righteousness. We're gonna look at one of them next week with the darkest valley. But there's also a wealth of practices, which are the ways that we follow our shepherd's lead. And so at collectivechurch.com slash current series, many of you have been making your way through our six practices that we have. Six practices, six habits, six ways to follow the shepherd along the right paths of integrating these into your life. And so again, that QR code on the seat back in front of you, if you're looking for a discipleship group, you want to enter into and start leading, or sorry, excuse me, start following the shepherd's lead, our discipleship groups are the place that we, we tease that out, we follow that out. But as we close, one, one final line in Psalm 23, verse three. It says, he renews my life, he leads me along the right paths, and he does this for his name's sake. The shepherd's work of renewal and righteousness is done for his reputation, for his name's sake. That is, God is working out all of this for the sake of showing his abilities and character to us and the world. God's renewing work in us, his righteousing on the pathway with him work is so that we might get a better glimpse of who he is and so that the world through us might get a view of who this God is. Because God's desire is to bring back other wandering sheep. God's desire is renewal. And his way that he has chosen to do this 
is primarily through sheep who walk with him. That those sheep with all of the mess and wandering they may have may see on the horizon a flock of sheep following a good shepherd and that they might with their, you know, nearsightedness wander a little bit closer to the good shepherd to find him, to find healing, to find bandaging, to find renewal, to find all that they were looking for. And so the work of renewal is not for the sake of your privatized spiritual experience. And a rule of life and a rule of righteousness is not a Christian version of your own self-care. They are done for the sake of others getting a view of the name of God, of who this shepherd really is. And the more that we walk with our shepherd, we find that our heart Our hearts will begin to beat like his. We will have hearts that will beat with renewal for others, for others to experience the life that we have found in him, a life that has been led out of death, a life that has found order in the midst of chaos, and a life that's been brought back from our wandering. Let's pray.